Welcome to What's Working in Marketing, a podcast for marketers that uncovers what's working across the digital landscape by tapping into the world's best data-backed research and through candid conversations with industry experts. I'm your host, Charlie Grinnell. On this episode, I'm joined with Cameron Uganik, General Manager of The Leap by Thinkific. Cameron, thanks so much for joining me today. Great to be here. Nice to finally meet you, Charlie. You've got so many friends in common. Yeah, I know. Before we started recording, we were like, how have we not met yet? So it's always good to put a face to the name and excited to dive in and and jam on today's topic. Typically, how we start these episodes is I like to go back to the beginning. And you've had a really impressive career at some amazing brands that all of our listeners know. So why don't we start there? How you kind of got into marketing, how it kind of started out for you, how it progressed through different companies and and how you ended up kind of now running a, a media publication within a tech company. Yeah, I'd love to share my story. It's a long one. Um, <laughs> I guess the audience members can't see my gray beard. <laughs> That's from many of the tours of duty in the front lines of uh, internet marketing, uh, yeah. content marketing. Yeah. But uh, I've been in sort of the digital business and digital marketing for 20 years. And that was before Google. I, before Google even launched, oh. I, I was involved in digital and internet. So I've seen a lot of different trends happen and, and sort of the maturity of, of the space. And what really interested me in the early days are still the same things that drive me today. So the decentralization of communication, what that means for sort of the democratization power of communication and building businesses and learning, empowering individuals and new forms of storytelling uh, are things that I was interested in when I was 26 years old and just getting started and still interests me today. For the last 10 years, I've had a front row seat on the growth of SaaS business. So I joined Hootsuite. It was 10 years. It's hard to believe it was 10 years ago. Yeah. uh, The early days of of Hootsuite. And really there wasn't a lot of SaaS companies back then. So we were making it up on the fly in terms of what tactics would work. And it's sort of amazing to look back at how some of those things have just become benchmarks and how things are done and how teams are structured. But 10 years ago, it was, we were sort of writing the playbooks at that time. And then during those 10 years, it's really been interesting that I feel like I've been part of the three phases of the creator economy. So the first Mm -hmm. phase being the sort of birth of social media networks and people understanding how to create content and build audiences on that. And at that time I was with Ootsuite and we were right in the center of that, obviously, uh, and created a category uh, around social media management of which there are other players now. Yeah. Um, so learned a lot, like learned, learned a lot there about the, you know, the forming creator economy. The second phase really was the, the rise of influencers. And so, you know, first step was figuring out how to post content and create an audience. Then it was like, how do we make money? And very quickly, the sort of the influencer world popped up. And that's when I, I made the move to later. And yeah. later was very much part of not just social media, but really the idea of becoming a solopreneur, being an influencer, and really interesting trends we were seeing there of people creating businesses, but starting with social first, not even starting with a domain, like starting through social, get your Instagram account, build an audience. When you build the audience, then you figure out how to monetize. I was like, that's a really fascinating trend. And that's what takes us to phase three, I think, of the creator economy, which is all around creator entrepreneurship. And that's the current phase we're in now. And so Thinkific is smack dab in that phase in terms of how do I monetize this? Like I've got an audience, but beyond brand deals, how can I monetize this? And I'm super excited about that. So for the audience, the people that don't know what Thinkific is, that's the company that I joined recently. It really is like the Shopify for learning products. 
So it's a platform that enables you to create market and sell your expertise uh, and gives you sort of total control over you own the website, you own your audience compared to the social networks. You know, all the social networks have their own monetization things, but they ultimately own your audience and you're at the whim of the algorithm. So Thinkific really is about you taking ownership. It's a place for creators to be able to sort of move their super fans to a place that they can control and then monetize them through content that they create in the form of, of learning products. So I'm, I'm really excited about the potential of Thinkific and, and its role within this phase of creator entrepreneurship. And it kind of harkens back to those early reasons why I got into digital media around the democratization of business. You know, yeah. it's like anyone can be an entrepreneur now if you have a skill that you can share yeah. um, and the democratization of learning. So then you think about, you know, in aggregate, if we have ultimately a million creators on the platform creating courses, learning products for people on things that they know, think about what that could mean for all of the people that are learning real world examples from real experts and the accessibility of that. And even in a cost effective way of it, it's all delivered on demand on the internet. So really excited about that in terms of sort of Thinkific's role, role in that and this, this latest phase of the creator economy. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot to, a lot to dive in there. And I think the one thing I kind of want to start with is I was just talking on another episode with Sean Tyson from Quietly, we were talking about brands thinking like media companies and like, yeah. you know, here we are with the, the subject of, of this episode. What's yeah. kind of the thinking behind these, these kind of SaaS tech companies starting media companies? And like, I can kind of share a bit of my background. I got my start in marketing more on the creative side, but then I ended up working on the digital marketing side of things with Red Bull. And back then that was kind of like content marketing, thinking like a media company, you know, this is 2013, 2015, like that type of thing. And now what we're seeing with the, I think the one big kind of example that everyone points to is like HubSpot acquiring the hustle. Can you just kind of unpack that for people listening? Like what is kind of the strategy or the play here? I think one is unpacking that idea of think like a media company. So if you're a digital marketer, you have heard that several <laughs> times. Gary B has been talking like that for many years, yeah. but I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand what is that actually mean yeah and for me what it means and i've seen great success in using the you know, if you want to call this think like a media company approach or playbook it's what we used at hootsuite to help yeah. build that category and build an organic audience it's what i what i did at that later with Taylor lauren who was who was my predecessor there did a great job of building that brand so what it means what i think it means in terms of think like a media company is being audience centric so it's thinking about your audience first so that means your content is not driven by the company's narrative and what the company wants to talk about. Your content is driven by search. What are the questions in my space that people are searching about? Mm -hmm. Social. What are the things that people are talking about and asking questions for in my space? That's what drives your editorial strategy. That's what yeah. drives what you produce. And that's a two-way relationship. You know, that, that idea of being audience centric is that you know, we're listening, you're listening in aggregate to the data, but you're also listening to individuals around how do they frame their problem? How do they tackle this versus the company has this narrative, we solve this problem. Yeah. It's much more of a customer centric approach. So that idea of being audience centric, I think is what is meant by being so think like a media company. Yeah. The other parts of it are related to that are the fact that, you know, go where the fish are biting, fish where the fish are biting. Fish where the fish are, I love that. Say, <laughs> right? You know, I use that line all the time when I was working at Hootsuite in that, where are people, where are they getting their information? And so you need to quickly shift. So if consumer behavior has moved to TikTok and people are spending, including me, hours on TikTok now, that's where you need to go. So being audience centric means to listen to them, but also 
go to where they want their information. And that change is shifting all the time. Yeah. And so that's what it means to be a media company. So that also means very different than command and control, old way of doing marketing. We want to send everyone to our website. Everything happens in our website. Everything should be gated by an email because that's value. It's like, no, 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 no. Think like a media company. Think like BuzzFeed. Think about like what Vice went through. Mm -hmm. Get these bite-sized pieces of content, put it down on the networks that people have and create the audience there. And yes, eventually get them to your media properties. Yeah. So really it's that concept of audience centricity. Then the other key of component or whether you do this right or wrong, where I think a lot of companies miss this is domain expertise. So if you want to be talking about whatever subject matter your company is about, you need to make sure you're producing the best content. And sometimes when I say best content, people hear that as best quality or production value content. Yes. No, that's, <laughs> that doesn't, that's not the most important thing. Yeah. What's the most important thing is that what you're saying is really important because you really understand the problem you really understand the solution, you really understand the market, which means that you probably need to hire people that are in the space and doing what you're doing and they are your customer. Yeah. So that's another, another way in terms of being on centric. So all this to say that it's a different way of thinking about marketing. It's very similar to best practices in content marketing, yeah. but really being structured like a media company and thinking like a media company is the way to win at this. And then ultimately, if I have to put my sort of senior VP hat on, then I'd say, well, why, why, why are we doing this? You're doing it for customer acquisition. Yeah. You're doing it because it becomes a much more efficient way to acquire customers than just spending money on Facebook. And you're doing it to build longer term relationships to have those relationships turn into longer term relationships with your customers. Yeah. And I guess the, the idea behind that is, you know, it's so competitive out there today, right? Like there's only 24 hours in a day. If everyone has 24 hours in a day, and they only have so much attention to kind of dish out, where is that attention going? And how can a brand earn more of that attention or earn more of that time? So to your point, like I yes. think about maybe a brand like, I don't know, Gatorade here. Typically they would think about who are they competing with from a category perspective or a competitive perspective, but there's also like attention competitors, yes. right? So yeah. people who might be interested in Gatorade and sports are also interested in other things. And what can you do as a brand to establish yourself to create interesting enough stuff to earn their attention. Because I think the idea is that the more time people spend with your brand, the better opportunity you're giving your brand to potentially hook them on the line, so to speak, to continue with your fishing analogy. Yeah. Well, if you, you know, your, your early career at Red Bull, I mean, they really wrote the playbook a lot on this sort of flipping the idea. Yeah. I, I really, I look to Red Bull as really inspiration in the early days of the ways that we should be thinking about this, where yeah. it's like, we're not going to rent space on some broadcast company, we are going to create such compelling content that we are, you know, we are the channel and we are the content. Yeah. So it's kind of flipping sort of traditional models, broadcast models on, on its head. And that all is about, as you mentioned, earning the attention of people and yeah. your target market. Yeah. I think that the other thing that just comes to mind is like, whether people are ready to buy our product or service now or not, I want them to spend time with us. That was kind of the thought mm -hmm. process. Like mm -hmm. whether it's Red Bull or Nike or Lululemon, mm -hmm. we want people to spend time with our brand and the mm -hmm. tactics. It used to be, we want 30 seconds of their time in, on a television commercial at the Super Bowl, or, Hey, we want them to come to our event or, Hey, we want them to follow us on social. But now, you know, it's kind of morphing to be like, Hey, we want you to be able to experience us kind of in an always on capacity. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. part of that is thinking like a, a media outlet.
that's building the relationship side of it, right? Exactly. And especially for SaaS companies, it's all about a relationship. Mm-hmm. They're paying you monthly. So it's not about a one-time purchase. And if you build a stronger relationship mm-hmm. because you're providing value continuously beyond just the product, that relationship strengthens. And yeah. what you get is customers that might let something go from a product perspective that's on the roadmap that they're waiting for. They might wait another six months yeah. rather than go to your competitor because those guys help me out. You know, whenever I have a problem, yeah. I go to their blog and I search for whatever problem I have and they answered it. And, yeah. you know, I really appreciated the guide they gave me. It really helped me form my strategy, whatever the thing is. So it's that relationship building that I think you're you're touching on there. Yeah. So previously, you've kind of referenced how Stripe and HubSpot and, and JP Morgan are kind of buying audiences. Let, let's kind of like unpack that. As you kind of just mentioned, we're seeing like this media entity thing. I think some people on its face would think of it as user acquisition. But what you just kind of referenced was also around like a retention mechanism. And so can you kind of talk about the ideas of almost like buy versus build? You know, I think like we're seeing a lot of businesses like think like a media company, but we have seen the HubSpot go out and acquire the hustle. We have seen Thinkific bring you in to build the leap, right? So I'd love to kind of get like, what are what are those kind of conversations? And obviously there might be some things that you can't share, but like at a high level, what's the thinking behind that? What I can share is that at Thinkific, the way we're looking at it is probably a hybrid model of what we are looking at. We are building out uh, that media property sort of organically, but we also are interested in looking at uh, strategic acquisitions to then bolt on to that. Yeah. Uh, and the reason, you know, sort of answer your question of buy versus build, why are companies like HubSpot spending reportedly $29 million to buy the hustle, which is yeah. a, you know, essentially a, a newsletter and their trends product and why, you know, where do they see that value? I think one being in it day to day, and I, I'm sure you have experienced this to build an audience takes time. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, and yes, we did it at Hootsuite, but it takes years organically to build that. And so there is just the idea of it accelerates the impact and yeah. the speed, right? You know, if you look at the hustle and you look at morning brew, they both took over five years to get to where they're at. So you know, the HubSpot can buy them and, and they're already there. They've already yeah. got that audience, that trusted audience. So that's yeah. one. And the second one is related to that, I think is proven product market fit or audience market fit. Yeah. Again, you know, if you're going to start a new media company, you're I'm making some calls here. Like who is the right audience? How wide do you go in that audience? What type of content? Yeah. And with that risk, until you kind of hit it, on the thing that's like, oh, that's what the people want. Again, that it, that eliminates buying in a known entity, eliminates that risk. Mm-hmm. It also can be a win-win relationship in that it solves the monetization challenge that a lot of media companies would have. Yeah. So it's like, I know how to build an audience. I, I've got that. I can't quite figure out how to do ad deals or when I do them, you know, it takes up a lot of my time. Yeah. And they did, it just doesn't pay me the same kind of thing where it's like, why don't you come join us as SaaS company we already have a, a solid business model, high margins that can fuel this. And your only job is to figure out how to add value to that audience. Yeah. And so that can be music to years to depending on how somebody's wired and what's important to them. Yeah. And then there is a, a bit of a finance thing from an arbitrage perspective, which again, if you have a media company, you're trading at about 2x if you want to sell that media company. It's, it's 2x, sometimes yeah. 3x, usually 2x on your revenue. But if a SaaS company's valuation is higher, there's an arbitrage that happens. Yeah. So you're sort of trading that value and joining something that's got sort of a 10x value to, to revenue. So there's a lot of reasons why acquisition makes sense. Yeah. And, and you know what? Like the more and more I talk to you, like when I was watching 
HubSpot acquire the hustle, thinking about Thinkific starting a media product. I had always really thought it was like an acquisition play, but now I'm actually realizing it's much more of thinking like lifetime value of a customer and like retention and like keeping customers in the ecosystem. And, you know, I think back to, mm-hmm. it's so funny you brought up later. Like I was literally on a call this morning with someone and I was like, go to later's blog. There's something there. And it's like, I've never bought later period. Right. If I stop, I've never bought anything from later. Like I just, it wasn't the tool at the, at the be- right. brands that I was at, but yeah, you bet your ass. I've been constantly referring to Taylor's content or content that your team produced or whatever from there. And right. I still do. I've never even bought anything from them. So it's just interesting to think about it. Like you've just kind of flicked a switch in my head to be like, oh yeah, this was purely an acquisition thing and people that they can market to, to no, no, this is something that this is how you keep people close with your brand and, you know, keep delivering value on an ongoing basis, which obviously fuels the long-term business model. Yeah. That's part of it. It's recognizing the fact that people have different levels of intent and different time, right? So you, you need to be top of mind for people. So I guess the people that might be skeptical of this approach would say, you just said you didn't buy later. So that's not worth anything to later. So what are they wasting this time? And I would say, no, no, what Charlie said is that he told someone to go to later. And Who he could may buy. Have, you know, in, in your time, in terms of like the things that you've shared, maybe you've shared five, six, seven different articles. Maybe you did it on social and it reached your whole audience. Yep. You're talking about it here on the podcast. Yep. Here's a great product, by the way. Love you guys. Later. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's this idea of sort of driving word of mouth because of the, the quality of your content and therefore it helps you with customer acquisition yeah. uh, again. And, and maybe next year, you know, you're going to have a need and you're going to like, like okay, I need one. Later's definitely going to be on your list. So yeah, it, it well, helps there. I think about, um, there's a guy who we do some work with named Dan Martell. He runs this thing called SaaS Academy. Yeah. And he has this phrase yeah. about marketing is designed to keep your customers warm until they're ready to buy. To your point, yeah. I haven't necessarily bought anything, but if I had the need for it, I would have bought it. I just happen to yeah. not have the need. But the fact that I'm yeah. willing to refer yeah. someone to yeah. it means that you've kind of already converted me as a customer. Cause I'm saying, yeah. I don't know. I can't help you with that, but they can. Yeah, you're an advocate. Interesting. Interesting. So, okay. I want to switch gears here a a little bit. In a recent interview with Vancouver Tech Journal, you said that owning these types of communities, like the hustle, for instance, is kind of like content marketing in its purest form. I I, I would love it if you could kind of just build and expand on that statement for marketers and strategists out there who are listening to this and maybe haven't really noticed that. Like we've kind of talked about this and like, there might be some people listening being like, okay, well, I've been told to think like a media company. I don't have the budget or like the opportunity to like build a media company necessarily. Like how should they be thinking about that sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a couple of questions that you have there. One is how is this content in its purest form? So, I mean, with that, I would go back to what we mentioned early on in this conversation is around audience centricity. And so what happens when, regardless of what company you're at, you're like, okay, I'm the content marketer. You're going to get the request to say, we just launched this new feature. We've got this new campaign. We want you to talk about this. And these poor social media managers or the people on the blog are like, I guess that's what we have to do. And so then you post the news of the company to a blog that doesn't have an audience yet, to yeah. social that doesn't have audience yet. And then people are like, no one's engaging with it. This doesn't work. And I'm like, it doesn't work because you're doing it wrong because you're not being audience centric. This is the big sort of secret to this all is yeah. the fact that, no, no, no. I mean, you need to be talking about the things that the audience is asking questions of. Yeah. And that's where there oftentimes is friction the company. Because if the senior people don't understand that's what you're doing, they're going to lose patience with investing in these channels. Totally. Because and you're just doing it wrong. And it takes time to build that audience, which we mentioned before. So you have to be patient and think of it long term. 
So I would go back to, you know, that's why it's, it's the purest form of being a media company. It's like, you just remove that distraction. You don't even have that distraction. My goal is very clear. Think Epic's like build a large engaged audience. That's what we Full want stop. you to do. Yeah. Then we'll figure it out. You know, then we'll figure out what, what we're going to do with that. And then I think also being, you know, purest form, you know, if I am operating like a media company, it means of course I'm going to go where the fish are biting. Of course I'm going to go to TikTok. Of course I'm going to go to a newsletter. Of course, you know, it's like, it just makes these things that are just obvious. Of course we need to be on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, of course we need to have a podcast. And then there's an element of it is that kind of structure also is more nimble. You know, this is more of an entrepreneurial venture within Thinkific. So that means I have a small team, but I can move fast. I can mm -hmm. change fast. Yeah. I don't need to get approval from five different people or convince the, you know, the whole company of what I'm doing. We can make the decision today that we saw something happen on TikTok that we want to take advantage of. Yeah. Um, and then I think the other part of it is attracting great talent. And this is something that we need to sort of prove out. But my thinking and hypothesis there are, you know, being structured like a media company, giving that kind of freedom to creators and storytellers and really being purpose-driven around our mission, yeah. I will be able to attract uh, or collaborate with creators that may not want to work with the software brand potentially. Yeah. Uh, and it changes sort of the nature of that relationship. Yeah. The one thing I want to touch on that, that you mentioned that that is a phrase that I've kind of, I forget who said it to me way back in the day, but it's this kind of idea when you were talking about how yeah, you know, a company releases a blog post on a blog that gets no traffic, it goes on socials, and it kind of falls on deaf ears, and it's crickets. One of the things that I always kind of talk about with with marketers and like thinking like a media company is, imagine if you didn't sell a product, what would you say? As a business, mm -hmm. if you if none of your if you could remove mm -hmm. all sales messaging, so I sell water bottles, but I'm not allowed to talk about water bottles. What would I talk mm -hmm. about? I might talk about hydration, the benefits, mm -hmm. like all that kind of right. stuff ad adjacent around it. Right. I feel like right. that's that's kind of like a, a gangster move in in starting a media company because it kind of having that editorial aspect allows yeah. you to talk about more topics that are, are adjacent and surround it without being so direct with obviously yes. to your point, the goal is eventually, you know, bring people closer to the brand and with the, with the hope that they convert. But yeah. I always just kind of yeah. go back to that phrase of like, if you didn't, if you're listening to this, imagine if your brand wasn't allowed to talk about what they sell, what would your brand say? Yeah. Well, maybe building, I do like that building on that might be, you know, asking people of, you know, after the workday, where, what kind of content do you consume or what, like when you have a choice, what type of concept do you, do you consume? Yeah. I doubt you're going to say product content, you know, yeah. like, right. And so then you say, okay, if you're not, if you're not consuming that product content, but you are a marketer trying to sell a product, yeah. what do you think we should do to reach an audience? You know, yeah. Talk about the product. I'm like, mm. once in a while, maybe if you've got it, got it in a really customer centric way and you're adding some value, but for the most part, if we're creating the audience, we want to talk about everything but the product. Totally. It seems counterintuitive on its face, but then kind of the more right. you think about it, you're like, oh, okay, like what is it the best marketing? You don't really realize that it's it's marketing, like that kind of age yeah. old old saying. And yeah. yeah, how can you create something that people want to spend time with? Yeah, I mean, I hate I hate to think about that like as if we're manipulating people or like we're a Trojan horse. The way I, I rather <laughs> view it is to say that I, I hope what we are is providing value. Totally. At the end of the day, my whole mantra to my marketing teams that I work with is like, that's all you need to do. Provide value every day to our customer base, you know, yep. and just be focused on that. Yeah. And I think that's right. That's the idea is like, whether that value is educational, inspirational, informational, you know, entertainment, whatever that is. I think it's one of those things is at the end of the day, like consumers know that like they're, they're being marketed to, but 
yeah, I think that 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 value exchange is is critically important. Okay, I want to switch gears here a little bit. I want to kind of get your take, like taking your thinkific hat off. You are in such a unique position in that you've been around for such a long time. In the intro, when you were kind of saying, "Hey, I started pre Google," that was like crazy to me. That's awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't mean that in like an offensive way. I think it's like really cool that you've been able to kind of like live through those things and have a lot of experience in that. You've seen a lot of things come and go. What excites you the most in marketing or digital or media brands? Like kind of a broad question here, but like, I don't know. I, I don't get a chance to talk to people who have been like, yeah, I was there like in the trenches, nitty gritty pre-Google, like doing digital stuff to today where like you're working and building on kind of like the front lines of like the next iteration of, of marketing. Yeah. So I guess I would go to just recently, I put that to the test in terms of what excites me the most is by making the move to Thinkific in that I made the decision that I'm sure a lot of people are probably going through, going through COVID and this idea of the great resignation of really being like, what's important to me? And the fact that I've been able to have senior roles and get to experience companies at different phases. And I've been sort of blessed with the fact of having a lot of opportunities available to me because I was early on with SaaS. And the reason why I chose to go to Thinkific is very, very much tied to the mission. Mm. Uh, and so I really want to be purpose-driven in what I do. I really have to believe in what I'm selling now, not just kind of, not sort of. And so what I'm excited about right now, and I mentioned this on the top, is the potential for sort of the democratization of entrepreneurship. I really do think we're in a very interesting time and it doesn't even have names yet. That's why it's so interesting. Do we call them solopreneurs? Yeah. Are they digital entrepreneurs? Yeah. Are they creator entrepreneurs? I don't know if it has a name yet. And yeah. that's fun. That's fun to be part of a category before in such early time, like social media in the early years. You know, like we don't even know what this is called yet, yeah. which I was in social before, but we didn't know what it was really social media management. We didn't know that's what we were doing. Yeah. So it's exciting to be on the front end of something, but also this idea for me of being driven by impact. What impact am I making on the world? What difference am I making? Mm -hmm. And I really do feel like if we're successful, if I'm successful with the leap and attracting a lot of people to this idea that you can make a living, earn a living that gives you the freedom and fulfillment of being sort of a creator entrepreneur and just sharing with people whatever you're passionate about and the skills that you have. And I'm not saying it's panacea that it's for everyone and, mm. and it's not a get rich quick scheme. You know, I think you hear a lot of that from sort of the internet bros of like the five tips that you're gonna yeah. get rich without doing anything. It's like, no, no, it's work. But if you're doing it, you know, look at Taylor Lauren who's shared her numbers. So she's, yeah. uh, for those that don't know, great Instagram marketer, has been for years. She was integral to building the brand at later. So she's been public with the fact that she put out a course around reels, yeah. Instagram reels. She made a hundred thousand dollars in that course. Yeah. A hundred thousand dollars on one course. So think about what that means for her life. She now is not an employee. Yeah. She's got her own business, you know, yeah. and, and that business of learning products are high margin. They actually last. It's not just a once done. She'll be making money off that course for a year. And if she totally. updates it for a couple of years. So it's this opportunity that I see that I don't think people realize how big it is. There's mm -hmm. 50 million people that are self-described creators out there, of which 2 million are making $100,000 or more. Yeah. 2 million. And, and that's just growing at exponential growth. The totally. 48 million are building an audience and are making somewhere less than $100,000, but they're all coming up. And so I just think that this could have really good implications in terms of building a digital middle class. You know, that that, yeah. that second phase that I talked about of sort of the influencer phase, I was like, yeah, that worked for people that had big audiences or you're a celebrity. 
But for the average creator and influencer that doesn't have a huge audience, hard to earn a, a living doing that with just brand deals. But with things like learning product and other things that are now available as well in terms of tips and subscriptions and membership subscriptions, there's all kinds of interesting monetization things that are in place now that mean that with a thousand fans, mm-hmm. you can make a living. And yeah. that living could be in Greece if you want. You can move wherever you want. You don't need to have a boss. And you also could have a positive impact on your audience's life. It's like a dream. Yeah, I think it's so funny you say that, like that kind of second phase of like influencer big audience is like the only way I could, you know, do this as a career entrepreneur, creator, entrepreneur, solopreneur, whatever you want to call it was I have to have a big following. And I think to your point, like that's the thing that's fascinating where it's like, yeah, I have, I have 500 people on Instagram, but half of them are paying me hundred bucks a month or however much their course costs. Like when you kind of run the numbers on that, you're like, holy shit, that can actually be a huge business. And it's so niche down and and specific. And yeah, I I think that's like this interesting shift going from like, oh, well, that person's an influencer because they have a million followers on Instagram versus, you know, you can have people with a thousand followers to your point who are literally like, don't have to work more or less like, yeah, yeah, they have to work to build their courses, but like in the more traditional sense of the word, like they don't have a nine to five and yeah, they're working hard. Like we, I'm not discounting that, but at the same time, like a disproportionate amount of revenue and like a significant business on their hands that, that doesn't have the kind of, you know, anchors, so to speak of like having to go mm-hmm. into an office or having to do mm-hmm. live in a specific city. It's fascinating to watch that play out. And, and, you know, Thinkific is obviously positioned on the front line of that. So that's super interesting. I want to ask, like, as you were kind of talking about like that mission and taking some time through COVID to like, think about what's important. Again, you've had a a long career working at at many brands. Do you have any advice for for marketers that they should kind of just be keeping top of mind as they move ahead in their careers? Like you've kind of navigated in different companies, different stages, different industries. Like, yeah, there was the SaaS aspect, but like, you've kind of seen a lot. What would kind of, what would you say to, to people they should be kind of keeping top of mind? Uh, there's a few things that I tell sort of young young marketers or people that, that work for me. One is um, when you're young, it's time to take risks. And there's so much change happening in this world that there are pockets of opportunity. You just have to take a risk to go for it. And so don't hesitate. You know, I, I think if I look back, the things that I would change was, you know, I didn't take enough risks early mm-hmm. on. And some of that's entrepreneurial. And some of that doesn't necessarily mean entrepreneurial. That could be in a company and say, I have a gut feeling about what this campaign can do. I'm going to fight for it, you know, take risks early on, do that often. Related to that risk-taking is to keep learning. Like I, I'm still learning. And because I think the industry has moved at such a pace now that I have to keep learning. I can't use the playbook from Hootsuite days. It it doesn't work the same. I can take some of the things that I learned there and some of the things that I I learned at, at later, but I always have to keep learning about what's happening, happening next. So it's important for, people that want a career in marketing or creators that want to build something is you got to keep, got to keep learning. Best way to learn is to build best thing to learn. Best way to learn is to ship, you know, uh, ship content, ship product, try something. I think the other thing that, uh, and I, and I think this is part of why I was successful is I've always had a long-term view of my career. Mm -hmm. I kind of figured out that I was going to work 30 years, you know, and like, okay, I got 30 years. What's my goal? Because you can achieve a lot of things in 30 years and then break that 30 years down to sort of two year, three, five year, 10 year goals. And it's sort of it's it's amazing what you can achieve within that. So you got to take a long term view of your career. And that means that oftentimes there'll be people that are sort of 25, 24, 25, and they're so eager to get the next senior role. 
and they'll do everything because of that senior role. And that may not be the right choice. You know, you're a little too eager yeah. and you just think, well, you'll get there, you'll get there. And, but maybe, maybe it's better for you to take that role a year from now and you'll be more successful. And so it's taking a 30 year sort of view of your career. And then related to that is relationships matter, right? Yeah. So even just you, you and I, I mean, the fact we haven't met, but we know lots of people in common and if I went around the world and I wasn't kind and I wasn't honest and I wasn't helpful, I would have a different reputation, you know, you know, just following those things I learned in kindergarten of be kind, be honest, be helpful means that I've built strong relationships. And so that means that I spend a lot of my time sort of giving, giving advice. And, and I don't know what the reward, it doesn't matter. I'm just building relationships. But then I know that I've got a network of people that when I need something, they're there for me. Totally. And that can be as big as it's a new gig or it's a new job or it's a new business opportunity or it's a fund that's open that I could invest in. I mean, it's a right down to saying, I got a role I got to fill. It's a freelance role. Who's got someone? And you know, good people that I have a relationship with will send me good people. Totally. Yeah. It's not, I always, the phrase that comes to mind for me is it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. And that's part of like, keep learning, right? So, you know, where do I get my information? I get my information usually from somebody who's one step ahead of me. Yeah, <laughs> like, totally. Whatever I'm doing, whatever <laughs> that thing is, who's one step ahead of me, not 15, because they're not going to understand my problem, but who's one step ahead of me. Totally. Totally. This is a question that I always ask every single guest and I'll give you a bit of background. I went to university for a month and then I dropped out and then I got into marketing. Mm -hmm. So I've like never been back to university and I'm super bullish on obviously continuous learning. I learned a lot through reading, watching people, listening to people, talking to people. So how do you stay up to date on business and marketing? Who are you following? What are you reading? Who are you listening to? Any, anything there to share with the, the audience? Yeah, I mean, I, I hinted at this earlier. I think building is better than reading always. You know, mm -hmm. trying and build something is, is way better, whatever that is. And even when I'm looking at resumes, it's, I, I really, even if it's entry-level roles, it's somebody who's like, oh, I did this side thing. That's yeah. more interesting than you're almost as interesting as your three-year sort of whatever degree is. Anyway, so yeah. because things move so fast, I do use Twitter for sure, yeah. but that this is that, that shift of power to the individual, right? So I can't really even, it wouldn't even be worthwhile me naming, here's two people to follow. It's like, I've curated my feed and, and oftentimes I will, depending on my job, that will change. Like I'll change yeah. my feed because now I'm into the media thing. So now I'm seeing a lot of people that are thought leaders in media and there's 20 people that are great. And there's, you know, 15 people that are learning along with me. And that's a great feed. You know, I'm yeah. learning a lot of stuff. So I do use Twitter. I do find it very helpful in terms of specific people right now that I'm looking at. There's a VC by the name of Lee Jin. I'll spell her name. L-I, first name. Second name is J-I-N. And if you're interested in the creator economy and some of the major trends and shifts that are happening, she's a great writer on the creator economy. Yeah. Also, Colin and Samir, again, I'm very deep in the creator economy. They're they're mostly on YouTube. I think they have a, a newsletter as well. They're great. I love their format. They often talk to creators in terms of how they got started, how do they build their audience. So they're they're great in that space. But yeah, I really have a bias towards, for it's for me personally, is that I feel like marketing books, unless they're dealing with the fundamentals of psychology yeah. uh, or the fundamentals of storytelling, which there are some good ones out there for that. It's changes. So what it's going to be meaningless in, yeah. in two years. So I, I really don't spend a lot of time reading, reading those books. Yeah. That's super interesting. One hack that I've had is like, I've gone to your Twitter account and looked at who you followed or gone to Taylor's mm -hmm. or gone to mm -hmm. other people that I look mm -hmm. at. And I'm like, 
who are they following? So anyone listening mm-hmm. out there, go to Cameron's Twitter account and check out mm-hmm. who he's following because you'll be able to see that. I don't yeah, know. It's yeah, just yeah, always a question good. I like to ask because like, you, you know, I'm the yeah. same way. Like if your diet of information, right, so to speak, what are you consuming on Twitter and, and where? Like I'm always adding, but also like trimming down to be like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, I've tried this for two months. I'm yeah. not really jiving like unsubscribe. And it yeah. is that kind of like constant living, breathing thing. Yeah. I mean, an example of that is like, I was about a year ago, well, maybe two years ago, I was really following a lot of D to C e-commerce brands and, yeah. and thought leaders there because I was like, they were doing some very interesting things. And, yeah. and I always have taken the view in SaaS and B2B SaaS that we need to market more like consumer companies. And so I always, I, I usually, I usually have a slight tilt to what I look for than, than what is not what you expect. If I'm yeah. in B2B SaaS, I'm looking at consumer brands. And then I'll be like, oh, okay, I think I've got everything that I can or, or my interests have changed. And then I kind of call my list and, and change change who, who I'm following. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not great at putting out content on Twitter, but uh, same, I'm, I'm very worst. good at lurking. <laughs> yeah, same, same, with tic, same with TikTok. There's a few uh, dances that I've done with my 15-year-old, but... Uh, but I certainly spent a lot of time consuming TikTok. <laughs> Fair enough. I've learned I've learned on my TikTok uh, excursions that I like watching power washing videos. Ah, yeah. I didn't I didn't even know how satisfying right. it is. Where someone it's a time lapse, and next thing you know, I'm like, where did half an hour go of this guy right. cleaning driveways? Like, why am I here? How did I get here? <laughs> You're learning about yourself by how TikTok has learned about you through the algorithm. What a cultural experiment. What a cultural experiment. Last question for you. Where's the best place for people to get a hold of you online? I know you're you're a wealth of knowledge. And so, uh, so yeah, what's the best place for people to get a hold of you if they have questions? We referenced that Twitter account. So I'm at Cameron U. So Cameron and then the letter U and you can follow me there. And and if uh, you think that it makes sense that we sort of connect and you've got a specific question, you can DM me there. Um, and then I do need to make a plug for the leap because yep. we did just launch our TikTok account. So the leaps TikTok account is at the dot leap. So on TikTok, we're at the dot leap. Uh, and the website should be going live depending on when this podcast goes out by the end of March. And that will be the leap.co. So I would be doing a disservice to my team and to the leap if I didn't <laughs> do a, a little plug. No, no, absolutely. All good. Well, Cameron, thank you very much for for taking the time. It was so good to finally connect with you and and get to jam on some stuff. I learned a bunch. We'll have to have you on uh, for another episode in the future. I'd love to get together in like a year from now to see how things are going because things are changing super fast. And so, yeah, just want to thank you very much. That's great. Thanks for having me on. For show notes, other episodes, and more content, check out rightmetric.co. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.